welcome to Untangle, the podcast from five-star app Meditation Studio. I'm Patricia Karpus, co-founder of Meditation Studio and your host on Untangle, along with my co-host today, Ariel Garten. Join us each week as we introduce you to authors, experts, and thought leaders who share their stories on how meditation and mindfulness practices have the power to change our lives. You can check out the Meditation Studio app in the App Store, where you'll find over 500 meditations on everything from sleep, stress, and anxiety, to happiness, motivation, confidence, and so much more, all designed to inspire you to solve the big and little challenges we face in life, and to be your best self every day. It's like having a little inspirational coach in your pocket. And we just launched two beautiful new sleep collections with music for you and your kiddos. Check it out. Today, join Muse co-founder, neuroscientist, Brainiac, and Untangle co-host, Ariel Garten, as she goes inside the head of her amazing guests. Thanks, Patricia. Hello, I'm Ariel. And I'll be your guide as we go inside the head of some of the world's most extraordinary brain scientists, psychologists, meditators, those who are skilled in the mental arts. And we're going to learn both from their cutting edge work and their own human experience, how our brains work, how to optimize them, and how to manage the crazy in all of our minds. This week, we're going to get inside the head of somebody very special. She is an expert on hormones, and she's going to tell us about how our hormones affect the brain. Now, this is a phenomenon that we don't normally think about. We go through life driven by all sorts of forces in our minds and in our bodies. And some of them are these tiny little molecules called hormones that can increase our performance, make us very frustrated or ornery, and really cause a lot of physiological and psychological changes. Dr. Anna Kabeca is our guest today. She's a triple board certified doctor, OBGYN, as well as integrative medicine and aging and regenerative medicine. So she comes from a very broad perspective. She's also a chaplain that gives her that extra insightful spiritual edge. She believes very deeply in meditation and its ability and power to change our lives in a variety of ways. So Dr. Anna, welcome. And it's going to be a pleasure to get inside your head today and understand how hormones change our lives and our mind. Ariel, thank you so much for having me. It is my sincere pleasure. So let's start off. And just tell us a little bit about hormones and how they affect us in ways that we might realize and not realize. Yeah, happy to. One of the things, especially, you know, in my own journey in menopause, in and out of menopause. So um, I say I'm a menopause and hormone expert because I've been through it now twice. At age 38, I was diagnosed with early menopause, ovarian failure, and um, was told I would never be able to have another child. So through my journey, I was able to reverse menopause at that point and at age 41 conceive a healthy baby and go on for for several more years in this in this healthy physical state and then menopause hit me again at age 48 and and that was really significant because what i noticed most and really how i was driven to muse actually to start using muse was the brain fog the lack of ability to focus the difficulty with concentration And just, you know, depression, mood issues that were happening all at the same time. But the memory issues were the thing that disturbed me the most because in my profession and working with clients and also just being a mom of a household of girls, I rely on my memory and patience to get the job done, right? (laughs) 
And so what I understand from physiology is how important our hormones are to our brain health. And as our hormones start to decline naturally, so for men and women, DHEA peaks in its 20s and starts to decline. And in our 30s, progesterone's pretty much at its peak, and mid to late 30s, progesterone levels start to decline. And this is where most women will notice these symptoms of hormone imbalance. We typically, we may call them estrogen dominance, but a hormone imbalance such as the irregular menstrual cycles, but also irritability, PMS. Ariel, something I always tell my clients, if you hate your husband only two weeks out of the month, it's probably your hormones and not your husband. <laughs> Good rule of thumb to remember. So what you're pointing to is this really kind of fascinating process where we have circulating chemicals inside of our body that move through our bodies and our brains that can change our perspective on the world, can change your quality of life, can change the lens that you are acting through and engaging through. Absolutely. And I always say physiology drives our behavior. And that's a really important connection to make because we can start to blame the external world or we can just say, well, this is a function of getting older, you know, but there's so many things that are affecting our behavior through our physiology, through our hormones. Exactly right. How our hormones swing and affect us and control us essentially. So that's an important thing to understand. But also what's really empowering is that we can modify our behavior, our disciplines and our practices to affect our physiology and overcome those changes. So even though, yes, our hormones are declining, but where do we achieve the optimal balance and what can we do to improve you know, the balance and the flow of our hormones throughout our body? It's also really important to note that we call hormones chemical messengers, but they really are energetic messengers. They are energetic molecules that we haven't even begun to understand or be able to measure. We measure them in different ways, saliva, blood, serum, urine. I mean, we can measure hormones in many different ways, but still there's an energetic component to them that we really haven't nailed in measuring yet. What do you mean by an energetic component? So just like we are energetic bodies, so our hormones are energetic. So the way they the way they interact, the way they communicate, and the way a hormone can influence another hormone at a distance, there's an energetic component to that. And uh, still, we we don't know exactly how that happens yet. Oh, that's fascinating. So to kind of get into this a little bit more deeply or from a science side. So when our heart pumps, for example, you have these massive waves of energy, the EMG, that are responsible for the pumping action of your heart, for your muscles around your heart, contracting and releasing. And that sends energy signals throughout the body when that happens. And so you're suggesting that hormones also, although they have a chemical interaction, also probably have a energetic interaction as well. Yeah. And it's even like, especially the, I call it the most powerful hormone in my book, the hormone fix. I talk about the hormones in general, but as a gynecologist, I always want to say that progesterone, estrogen, testosterone, even DHA are the most important hormones, but really that's not the case. The more important hormones are insulin, cortisol, and oxytocin. So I talk a lot about oxytocin in my book because that's the hormone that we want to be the master hormone in our body. That's the hormone that gives us a sensation of love, connection, belonging, community, just that feel-good hormone, right? Peace. There's so many benefits to oxytocin. 
So we know too, just from like in coherent studies and working with heart math or in deep meditation, we can increase our level of oxytocin. Probably some of that's from decreasing cortisol, but what's that energetic component there? And additionally, oxytocin has receptors all over our body. So in our heart, we know we have oxytocin receptors. In our uterus, we have oxytocin receptors. And certainly in our brain, we have oxytocin receptors. So the communication to activate oxytocin and to um, you know, act, predominate or direct the receptor location, I mean, that's phenomenal. I have yet to understand how that works. If anyone listening knows, please let me know. <laughs> Well, so onto something more practical for people who are listening. If oxytocin is so amazing, and we've probably heard about it as the love drug, what are some ways that you can upregulate oxytocin? What are some ways that we can start to just encourage our bodies to produce it? Well, definitely, first is understanding that oxytocin and cortisol will oppose each other. So when we're stressed, we're going to deplete our oxytocin too. So something to think about. So anything we can do to reestablish healthy cortisol balance with our natural circadian rhythm is going to help oxytocin. It's going to give oxytocin some field time. But in general, we know that increasing oxytocin is also is from intimacy. We can increase oxytocin and intimacy with kissing, hugging, massage, touching, loving connection increases oxytocin. Also playing with a pet, you know, getting outside, laughing, being in nature, doing things you love, increase oxytocin. Sitting with friends, laughing, telling jokes increases oxytocin. So those are other ways to increase oxytocin. Most women who are listening, if you've delivered a baby, you've maybe been even given oxytocin. So external oxytocin, we say exogenous oxytocin, is administered IV during labor when a physician like myself, an obstetrician, wants to encourage the contractions to speed labor along for whatever reason. We give oxytocin. It's called pitocin. We inject pitocin during labor, and that increases contractions to help increase the speed of delivery. And we've always thought that high-dose oxytocin would be okay, but I think the research is being questioned now. And we only want to use what's necessary in labor because of potential maybe uh, damage to oxytocin receptors in the baby. So something to think about now cannot just think that it has a benign effect anymore. But that's a feeling when we deliver a baby naturally, we bond with this child. And Ariel, you can speak to this. That Mm -hmm. feeling you get when you first look in that child's eyes surpasses any explanation you've been given. Isn't that true? When you smell your baby's head, oh my God, like the waves that go through your body when that happens. (laughs) So special. Yeah, it's... That's oxytocin. It's extraordinary. So I don't want to leave the men out. So all of these suggestions around ways to increase oxytocin and all of the hormonal sort of effects that you've been discussing, the hormonal effects apply to men and women. Yes, absolutely. And and the same thing with hormones in men and women. You know, progesterone is a male hormone as well as a female hormone. Testosterone is a male hormone and it's a female hormone. And those also affect our cognitive function, our ability to focus. For progesterone, our ability to get a good night's sleep. There's so much good regarding brain health from progesterone. And it's important to understand when we're driving stress, when we're driving cortisol, it depletes our bucket of progesterone for both men and women. That's true. 
So let's look at progesterone specifically, just to pick one. What happens to progesterone in men and women over time, over age? And what are some ways that you can try to affect this yourself? Yeah. So first, you know, progesterone will naturally decline. In women, it's in the uh, mid-30s with the decrease in ovarian function. In men, it's a slower decline over time, something like testosterone. It's not often talked about in men because we only think about progestins, synthetic progestins that have been prescribed for women that don't work like bioidentical progesterone. It wasn't until the last hmm, six years that Emory University, where it was my alma mater, was studying traumatic brain injury and progesterone. Dr. Don Stein. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And his work, and I've spoken with him, is really very profound. And one thing that he talked to me about in conversation, he says, in the studies, if they don't use the bioidentical, the exact progesterone molecule, they're not getting the same results, which was very fascinating because even progesterone injections for women in pregnancy the prescription formula that became available was not the exact bioidentical progesterone that was studied. It was a synthetic version that was patentable and distributed by the pharmacy. So so it's really important to understand that we really know that the bioidentical progesterone works as a neuroprotective, and that's powerful. So this is something that you and I have never discussed, uh, but I will share with you now. So I know Dr. Donstein because I had a TBI several years ago. And as somebody who's deep in neuroscience and, you know, could literally call up the phone and speak to any neuroscientist I wanted and say, hey, I have a TBI. What should I do? I came down the progesterone path because I noticed that during days, you know, 15 to 30 of my cycle, I would feel better and better and better and better and better. And then I'd crash and then better and better and crash. And I thought it was the other interventions that I was doing, the hyperbaric oxygen, the laser light therapy. And when I stood back and realized, hold on, this is actually my progesterone cycle that's making my brain better. I then went down this path of saying, okay, well, what happens if I just try to upregulate progesterone? And it literally changed my life. My cognition became so clear, all of the symptoms, like the light sensitivity, the sound sensitivity went away, and I was just back and engaged in life again. So I am the biggest proponent of the effects of hormones on the brain and how they can shift, you know, both endogenously and exogenously, both your naturally occurring hormones, because I can certainly feel those differences, and externally taken hormones, how they can shift your cognition and your perception of life. Absolutely. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that story because it is, it's fascinating and it doesn't take a lot. So that's fabulous. And it is definitely something that I worked on with my clients. I used progesterone with my clients with PMS. So using bioidentical progesterone, if a patient couldn't get a good night's sleep, I use oral progesterone in those instances. And sometimes for the effect, when we're using progesterone, there's a lymphatic component, you know, a delivery system through lymphatics that we believe progesterone gets into as well as the circulation. So there's a benefit sometimes to use some transdermal and oral. The reason to use oral in clients that aren't getting a good night's sleep is because progesterone will convert to allopregnenolone, which will increase the production of GABA, and that helps that deep REM sleep. So there's an advantage there, even in postpartum depression, using progesterone to help clients naturally. And there's those safety times when we're experiencing the brain fog or the postpartum depression to add in that progesterone. But also the same thing is true for men, and they could apply it to the neck, to the temple area, 
to help them also with a good night's sleep and also with cognition. And what I really want to bring up is how important progesterone is for brain health, you know, for mood and behavior, especially in the perimenopause time period. So in our ages 40 to 50, when we're losing that progesterone, it leaves a kind of neurovulnerability for many of us, especially if we've had adverse childhood experiences or trauma, as I did. I had a post-traumatic event very deeply affect me in my life. And female veterans as well have an increased susceptibility to a difficult menopausal transition who have been exposed to trauma. So progesterone can really help in this way, be that protective barrier, add that cushion back as our body is naturally declining in progesterone. We're going to take a little break now to give a shout out to Care Up, this week's pretty cool sponsor. They have a monthly subscription vitamin service with personalized vitamins and supplements delivered to your home each month. The vitamins come in handy little daily packets that make it super easy for you. You start by taking their online quiz that asks you about your diet, your health goals, and your lifestyle choices to find out exactly what you need. And then they put your personalized packets together. They also have nutrient-packed quick stick powders that can give you an extra boost when you need it. I just had my first pack delivered and I'm loving it. Head to TakeCareOf.com and enter Untangle50 to get 25% off your first month. That's TakeCareOf.com and enter Untangle50 to get your discount. Now back to our show. So one of the earlier guests on our podcast was Dr. Lisa Marconi, and she's an expert in women's brain health. She was on our episode around brain food, but her other focus is on cognitive age-related cognitive decline in women. And one of the things that she observed in her study, she's now the head of the Will Cornell Women's Brain Health Initiative. Um, she's looked at thousands and thousands of women's brains, and she saw a direct relationship between the levels of estrogen in the brain and changes in in brain function over time. So it's something that we're now hearing from multiple directions, how the change in hormones in the brain lead to actually a change in function and cognition. Exactly what I experienced as well. So what's fascinating is that we believe that estrogen and progesterone, especially in the female brain, really is significant for memory function and cognition. But also it's really important to know, and this is what brought me to understand why ketosis is so empowering for brain health in women. So gluconeogenesis in the brain is an estrogen-dependent process. Gluconeogenesis, meaning the creation of glucose inside of the brain, the energy store that we're going to use. Yeah. And utilizing glucose in the brain is an estrogen-dependent phenomena. So it's an estrogen-dependent process. So as understandable now for women, as estrogen declines, we need to switch our optimal fuel source for the brain from glucose to ketones. And switching that, Ariel, was game-changing for me. I talk a lot about this in my book, The Hormone Fix, is the power of, of using ketones for brain fuel on a cyclical basis, right? So in the brain, glucose is like gasoline and ketones are like jet fuel, especially in the postmenopausal brain. So we use that source of ketones for 
fuel even better. And what does that feel like? Well, if we're not alkaline, I'll talk about that. If we don't have enough greens, if we're not getting our minerals, we're not having a good, healthy component of plant-based foods in our diet, we may feel what I initially experienced, which was going keto crazy. Or, you know, some people call it keto flu. I was irritable, moody, and I didn't like how getting into a ketogenic diet made me feel. So I optimized it in my book, and I call it the keto green way because we want to empower our body into ketosis through intermittent fasting, get our body periodically at least using ketones for fuel in the brain, and but make sure we've got those alkalinizers on board, those dark green leafy vegetables and, and plenty of um, plant, low carbohydrate, plant fuel sources. And that combination is really powerful. It's game changing. And so I went from having memory fog, like really cycling down this path to having tremendous clarity to be able to run an incredibly successful now seven figure business and um, writing a book and teaching online physicians as well as as um, many consumer programs online. And it was, you know, going from that state where it was hard enough to get myself together and out the door, not to mention my kids and, and run a, try to run a business, to really be able to have, honestly, the best relationships in my life, to experience the peace that surpasses all understanding, to have joy, connection, and a feeling of love that I'm just so grateful for on a daily basis, plus a mem my memory back. <laughs> which makes me happy too. That's amazing. So let me just sort of back up and unpack this a little bit. So because of the effect of estrogen in the brain uh, and its relationship to glucose, when we move from relying primarily on glucose to relying on ketones, uh, we allow our brain to work more efficiently. And so your recommendation is to move to a ketogenic diet, but I know that you don't believe in just a ketogenic diet. You have a slightly different approach, which is keto green. Yeah, absolutely. So with the keto green way, it's because one of the things that I recognize is that it's not just about what we eat, right? It's not just about what we feed our body that affects our physiology. It's also what we feed our mind, our thoughts, our perceptions, what are we taking in into our eyes, into our ears? What are we listening to? What are we seeing? What's our environment? That affects our physiology, right? And also what if, what's affecting our spirit? Are we fear-driven? Are we angry? Are we lost? Are we in despair? That affects our physiology negatively. We know that. So not just about what we feed our body, but it's also about what we feed our mind, our spirit, and how we nurture our relationships, how we nourish and feed our relationships. And community increases oxytocin, healthy community increases oxytocin, which can is again empowering and feeds our body. So I talk about my keto green way because it's not just about what we eat. So the lifestyle factors that impact us on a really holistic basis to improve and empower our physiology, our life, the quality of life, the quality of relationships so that we can love and love fully. And um, I want to explain just an example. I had a client named Marty and he came in, he was 38 years old and he had been working on one of the rigs and was in a traumatic injury and most likely suffered a traumatic brain injury. But he continued to work and would just was really struggling emotionally. And he heard about me and my work with oxytocin. And so he made an appointment. And I, of course, I evaluated him and gave him a questionnaire and, and discussed. I wanted to find out what the trigger was. And so he told that story about his, his trauma. I'm like, ah, okay. And 
And he also explains, you know, I love my wife. I love my daughter. I try to do things with them. I just don't feel love. And I was like, absolutely, you don't feel like because oxytocin is suppressed in this situation. Post-trauma, certainly there's a TBI component, but there's a PTSD rewiring component. Because I felt that too, Ariel, post my trauma. I knew that like, you know, I love my work. I love my family, but I didn't feel love. And if I hadn't experienced this personally, I probably wouldn't have been able to explain this. And that was powerful. Um, And I talk about it in my book. I have a whole chapter on this because I want to make that connection because so many relationships drift apart because we're not feeling that connection. And again, we have to heal the physiology that's broken down the ability to have that emotion. That's why I say it's an energetic, hormones are energetic. Wow. Sorry, you've just blown my mind. And I think a lot of people who are listening might connect to this, that you're in relationships, you're in situations where you're like, okay, I'm I'm here with this partner. I'm here with this person. I should love them. I'm supposed to love them. But why is it so hard to feel that sense of loving connection? And what you're saying is the stuff that happens in our life may lead to a physiological difficulty in actually having the proper flow of oxytocin, being able to physiologically feel those sensations of love. And that's part of what holds us back. Yes. Wow. I have the feeling a lot of people who are listening right now might just be going like, whoa, 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 this might explain what's going on in my my world, my emotional world, my psychological world, my physiological world. So how do you fix it? What do you do? Yeah. Well, and also just understanding it allows us to give grace, you yeah. know, grace for ourselves so we can let, let any guilt, shame um, go because sometimes we just create behaviors that are are, are self-medicating, right? Yeah. Because we're not feeling. And so there's self-medicating behaviors. I call them oxytocin seeking behaviors. So whether it's, it's um, more sexual promiscuity, whether it's, you know, risk taking behavior or other things like shopping, gambling, addictive types behavior that will give us a dopamine and temporary, very temporary oxytocin surge. And so this is where it comes back to, you know, like, how do we fit, right? Exactly what you ask, how do we fix it? And that's what, you know, was empowering to me is creating, nourishing our body. So the keto green way, number one, very powerful brain brain fuel and brain food and guidance in my book on that. Number two, the principles and practices that support, support um, putting oxytocin back into our lives, into the winning circle, so to speak. And so behaviors that you know that will increase oxytocin. So that has to be in place too. So start bringing in oxytocin behaviors. So I have a puppy right now during book launch. I bought my daughter a puppy because, you know, pulled at my heart heartstrings and I knew it was going to be exceptionally busy. And a puppy brings oxytocin into the house. Uh, be better, a potty trained puppy would be better, but <laughs> needless to say, it still brings oxytocin into the house. So even though like I didn't have the game space to do that, right? But bringing that in because I know physiologically that would help me and that would help her and help us, right? Very, very powerful. And and the other thing too is to recognize, and this was something I needed to understand this physiology. So it drove me to the cortisol research. It drove me to understand that I'm not alone. I wasn't alone in this. I'm not alone. I know, like you said, so many people listening will resonate with that, whether in their own lives or in their lives, they saw someone who experienced trauma and essentially disconnected, isolated, got depressed, or went off on a deep end, you know, midlife crisis type situation. 
you know, all grace around that, all grace around that. We still have to go back and heal the physiology. So one is to uh, restore cortisol's natural peak and flow, natural circadian rhythm. So dealing with trauma, using muse, for instance, to help allow some brain rest and rehabilitation, right? Re-energizing healthy, healthy brain function. Getting a good night's sleep is really, really powerful to help establish cortisol balance, but like seeing sunrises, seeing sunsets, getting out in nature as much as possible and fueling, you know, fueling our body with the right, certainly nourishment, but the behaviors, meditation. I start each day out with gratitude and prayer and that time of pause and reflection so that I can, you know, set the framework energetically, mentally, spiritually for my day. I can't go through the day hit my, you know, essentially hit the floor running and expect to be my cheerful, awesome, calm, peace self. <laughs> it doesn't happen. Ask my daughter. <laughs> so, um, so it's a real, it's a really important practice. The intentions we start the day with to help put cortisol in its right place too, because if anyone who has experienced post-traumatic stress that constant outpouring of cortisol causes the brain, and I want to talk with you about this, Ariel, but from what, what I understand, it causes the brain to feed back onto the paraventricular nucleus and say to cortisol, essentially, you know, you're frying me out, I'm shutting you down. And so it puts the brake on cortisol production. So as the paraventricular nucleus puts the brake on cortisol, it's also putting the brake on oxytocin. So you get this that dangerous situation, the physiologic condition where cortisol slow and oxytocin slow. So you feel that burnout, that disconnect. Yeah. You walk into a room, you see people you know, and you pretend you're invisible. You pretend you don't see them you know, until they tap you on the shoulder. You're like, oh, hi, I didn't see you. Yes, you saw them. And um, I, I'm, am I the only one who's guilty? <laughs> I did that a lot. And just isolating, preferring to stay in yeah. versus going out, but yet community and socialization, talking, good groups, helps, helps with oxytocin. That really does help. We're not alone. And so understanding that and working to now heal the brain from these behaviors and disciplines we create to help us normalize cortisol and increase oxytocin. So I lay that out in my book and also talk about other things that disrupt that, that physiology. But I just want everyone to understand that when this happens, it is imperative that we do self-care. But if it's starting to happen at, or if it's 10 years ago that you felt this way or decades, it's not too late. I've seen lives turned around that, you know, um, physiology restored and, you know, peace, joy, love all felt again, genuinely. And, and that was powerful. That was, has been powerful experience in my life. Wow. So this is something that I also resonate with. I'm sure people listening resonate. I resonate with this very deeply, both personally and as a therapist. Um, after my traumatic brain injury, everything became scary to me. Uh, you become thrown off, you become disconnected. And so the temptation was to disconnect. The temptation was to become very small. You become emotionally dysregulated with a TBI. Um, and the temptation was to pull back, to pull back from my husband, from work, from everything. And, you know, luckily I have the practice and the training and the background to say, no, 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 what we need to do is open back up again. What we need to do is reach out. What we need to do is connect. What we need to do is flood ourselves with sensations of joy and love and gratitude and flood ourselves with 
deep, deep self-love, reach out to your husband, reach out to everybody, hold their hand and feel the connection and the beauty that comes from that engagement and allow it to open yourself back up again and allow it to reduce the fear and allow it to push back all those voices that say, no, no, you need to be small and protect yourself so you don't get hurt again. Um, and it's through that opening and flourishing process that you realize again that the world is safe and you are safe. But you know, if you don't have somebody to point that out to you, if you don't have somebody to hold your hand and guide you through it, that can be a very difficult thing to see and to have the courage to do. So, you know, I encourage anybody who's listening that resonates to, to reach out, hold a hand, get the book, do whatever you need to do to begin to open the petals of your life again so that you can reconnect, so that you can feel the flow of oxytocin, so you can understand the love that is inherently there and is real in your life and allow it to reestablish the relationships and the flourishing of your life. Uh, I love that. Open and flourish. I'm going to write that down and put that on my card right now because <laughs> on my wall, um, open and flourish. I really love that. You know, open, reach out and connect. And there's so many times, especially, you know, you get stressed, you get caught up and you're closing yourself in, putting disciplines and practices in place that keep you from doing that are essential and making yourself like, I don't want to go, uh, maybe I don't want to go to church, but I'm going to go because I need my community. Or like I always say, you know, I never want to go to the gym, but I'm so glad when I'm leaving, you know, I'm so happy to leave the gym. So things like that, you know, that you are practices and principles that you put into your life that help you stay connected, that help you do things that you really do enjoy and benefit from doing. That's, that's, Important. And then just having this conversation, Ariel, I had no idea that you had these experiences, being able to share them and know that you're not alone. Yeah. Very inspiring. Thank you. And see Thank how you. far you've come through that just gracefully. It's been amazing. And, you know, when you go through these things, you always say, well, you, you create justifications in your mind of why it happened. And you try to back justify and say, okay, well, you know, I'm going to learn from this. I'm going to get better through this. I'm going to learn more from it. And uh, for me, that certainly was the case. You know, I went from somebody who builds a brain tool, who knows a whole lot about the brain, who was a therapist for, you know, almost a decade, and who understood psychologically all of these principles and how to implement them and help other people through them to somebody who really needed to deeply, deeply, deeply practice them in my life and deeply understand them and, and take myself through all of the lessons that I had taught other people and, you know, open myself out with it. And on the other side, what I see is a life that is so much more open and free than it was before. You know, before I always say that I had... I was unafraid. I could do anything I want because I had no fear. And now in this wiser place, I both have fear, I feel fear, and I'm not afraid to move through the fear. And that is a much deeper place to be in. That's a much freer place to actually know what, what that discomfort and disconnect is like and what that fear can feel like and know that you have the power and the facility to move yourself to the other side. And it just takes moving through that fear. And every one of us, every one of us has that ability, right? Everyone can move through that fear. You know, one interesting thing is this post-trauma, because that fear is post-trauma. For sure. Right? It's that fear is PTSD. Definition of trauma. Yes. And then taking it from PTSD to post-traumatic growth is what you did. That's a lovely way to say it. It's actually a phrase I haven't encountered yet, post-traumatic growth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that concept. I also talk about postmenopausal growth, but then people think I'm talking about going wider, but I'm talking about growing spiritually. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> That's funny. So let's talk about the emotional postmenopausal growth. Yeah, postmenopausal growth. And just like, just like, again, from experiencing as you did, just that a fear-based physiology, right? And we have fear, many women, because I've actually, there was a recent survey looking at 2000 women aged 30 to 60, and there are three big fears associated with getting older. And one is losing autonomy. One is losing, you know, or needing to be cared for by someone else. And the second is losing mobility. And the third is um, memory loss. Three biggest fears of women growing older. And so here we're, we have this, you know, fear with menopause. So how do we convert that? And, and that's what I teach with the principles in my book is convert that into how we're really designed to be as, as you know, in our 50s, 60s, 70s, as we get older, to have this, I call it energized enlightenment. And with this energized enlightenment, not only have I seen it in my life, I'm 53 now, within 11, I'm, I'll be 53 this year with an 11 year old, right? Or, you know, she'll be 11 tomorrow. So, you know, it's really key to understand this, get this empowerment, especially for me as I'm raising this young child. But this, as we get, as we get older, as we get into the menopause, getting this energized enlightenment, this clarity helps us give back into the world. And I was talking earlier about like my four-step approach to help us from whatever situation if we're faced with um, a difficult time, a difficult diagnosis, you know, challenged physiologically, that my four steps were to pause, number one, number two, pray, number three, prioritize. And that really want to emphasize that prioritize yourself in your life and prioritize things that mean the most to you. So a question I have my clients ask, and um, I love this one, is what are you so glad you did yesterday? Just that question, like on a daily basis, I, when I wake up in the morning, I'm like, what am I glad I did yesterday? And that helps me set my emotion for the day. It changes my physiology to positive. I'm able to appreciate that time. So, you know, time I spent with my daughter, time I spent with her friends or one of my friends, actually my one for today was, I'm so glad I took the time after I recorded a very late night podcast to go over to my um, daughter's friend's house and sit with her mom. And we had some girlfriend time while we let the kids play an extra 10 minutes, even though it was late. And that was really, I was really glad that I was able to have some soul nurturing time at that point. And uh, so that helps you prioritize. And then the fourth is pour, pour into yourself, right? Because, mm. you know, we can't give from an empty cup, but pour into yourself and then pour out into the world. So I bring this up to say this because as I've seen women empower their physiology, follow my keto green way, women and men both, I've seen them take on a second career. I've seen them get more enjoyment and quality and have more quality relationships than they have had in decades. I've had women who hadn't, you know, like uh, we're horse country here. And I love horses. So I always give this example of Kathy, who was 67, would come home from her work in the ICU, lay on the couch and was like, exhausted every day to going from that to getting back into her backyard, into her farm, you know, on her farmland, riding her horse that she hadn't ridden in two years that she had thought about selling. And that just like warms me. It's like, you know, like a horse is like a family member. And so getting out there and riding that horse and, and she said to me, she goes, Dr. Anna, not only do um, I love myself more, but my family loves me more too. 
And I love that. She was belonging again from isolating. And another client who is um, an airline stewardess for 35 years, always wanted to fly, checks that off her bucket list now. Now she's taking flying lessons. I mean, this is the empowerment stage that we can we can have in our lives. So we can give back to ourselves and give back to others when we are energized, when we have done the self-care, those necessary steps to improve our physiology and actually empower it in this, you know, for the rest of our life. Amazing. Well, I ordered the hormone fix for my mom. Uh, she's in a phase in her life in which she's, she's in the next, she's in the next journey. She's 65 plus. Um, and you can see the empowerment that she has and the enlightenment that she has. Uh, and I just can't wait to see what this is going to do. I also ordered it for me and some of your maca and <laughs> I'm all, you know, I'm almost in my forties. And so that's the time when you start to see these hormonal changes play out. And, you know, the lessons that are here are significant for men, for women, for anybody of any age, because we're constantly a in the place of hormonal shift and change, where when we understand these systems, we understand how to work with them, we can understand how they shift our perspective, they shift our cognition, they shift our feelings, they shift our relation to the world. And also the conversation that we had around trauma, not just traumatic brain injury, but any kind of trauma and the ways that it impacts you, you know, the methodologies to bring yourself back to the world again are very much the same. The methodologies of opening yourself out of connection, of meditation, um, of being mindful about what you eat, of how you drive your physiology to support the emotional changes that you're making. It's, it's a global lesson. Mm, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Well, Dr. Anna, thank you so, so, so much for your beautiful insights today. And also I get to look at your beautiful face, which looks significantly younger than how old I know you are. Also very impressive, <laughs> by you. the way. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So thank you very much, Dr. Anna. Thank you for being inspiring and insightful and hopefully helping a whole lot of people unlock what has been stuck in their life. Thank you. A lot of the principles Dr. Anna speaks about in her diet, The Keto Green Way, can be found in her amazing book, The Hormone Fix, which just landed on shelves. Dr. Anna is a physician who also runs online programs that you can find at dranna.com, D-R-A-N-N-A dot C-O-M. Reminder, the content here is provided for information purposes only. If you think you have an issue with your hormones, talk to a doctor or care provider. You can find the full conversation with more tidbits at arielgarten.com, A-R-I-E-L-G-A-R-T-E-N.com. Next week, Patricia will be back with more Untangle. Till then, keep your neurons sparkling and your hormones firing. <laughs>